Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Taina Ixchel Jorda-Sid. I hope I said that right. She's calling from Malta, and Taina has a master's degree, is a tantric counselor, a certified energetic relationship practitioner, holistic, and well, holistic health and wellness coach, and Seda healing practitioner. She's been a practicing tantrika for over 10 years since she was initiated into a one-on-one esoteric training with a master who told her it was her destiny to teach this love. A power priestess, Taina coaches singles and couples to live free and fully empowered lives through tantric and shamanic principles. She's also known for her red tent ceremonies, her sacred priestess circles for women to create community and embody the divine feminine. Welcome to the show, Taina. Hi, Sumati. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. And hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. So, yeah, thank you for calling in from Malta. For a minute there, we thought she wasn't going to get through, but we figured it out at the last minute. And so far, the connection is good. But um, please forgive us if it cuts out because we are calling across the oceans. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Taina, I'm really curious. You call yourself a power priestess. So, you know, very few little girls grow up at least being able to articulate they want to be a power priestess. So how? tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to this place in your life where, you know, you're just owning it, that you're this power priestess. And I feel that energy from you. I really <laughs> honor you. So, But I want to hear, like, your evolution to that point. Sure. So it's interestingly enough, I was actually raised as a born again Christian. So I always had a really strong connection to the divine, even though I always questioned some of the actual details of what I was being taught. But mm-hmm. that faith that I had uh, led my way through through life. And then when I was in my early 20s, I had a boyfriend ask me if I thought he was going to go to hell, and he was agnostic. And it really kind of floored me because I was like, this is not what I would think an unconditionally loving God to do, to send someone to hell for not believing in one specific thing, even though they're a wonderful human being and they're kind and generous to everybody. And so it really made me question what was really going on. And in that inquiry of like, what's happening and what's, what's really what and, and direct me and guide me into where greater understanding of what's happening, a lot started happening in my life during that time. Part of it, I started getting memories of 
having been a priestess in other lives, and I didn't fully mm-hmm. understand this at first, but I'm like, what is God? <laughs> it was very strange. My spiritual awakening was very strange. It just, and it was to, around 2006 when no one was really talking about any of these things. But I couldn't help uh, what was happening, all the spiritual experiences that were going on in my life. And as a result, I was also, um, there's a term called downloading, um, which is where you get, you get insight, you get like wisdom where you, it just kind of comes through and, and now you know something that you didn't previously know. And so I started getting these downloads of different rituals to perform and different um, different ways to connect with the divine. And, and again, it was all very different and strange and I couldn't understand it, but I couldn't help but noticing my experience with it. And so as I started to follow my heart and follow my instincts and creating these rituals and connecting to what I consider the divine in a very different way than I, I had as a, as a Christian, more magic started happening in my life and manifestations and, and things that I couldn't explain. And so I started looking for different people and different groups of what that could possibly help me understand the experiences that I was having, which led me to a variety of experiences, including ayahuasca, and ultimately to a group that led around um, a Zen master. And when I would come to this group of other people who we considered ourselves seekers, of, of people who were starting to wake up and were connecting with one another in, in ways of, of sharing our stories and our experiences with one another. And as I started sharing more about what I was feeling and experiencing, the teacher said, you're actually practicing Tantra. I'm like, what is that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> because these were embodied practices. These were self-love practices. These were different ways of, uh, instead of looking at the divine as this um, father figure in the sky, judging my every move, whether it's being naughty or nice, you know, like right. I'm either going to be, be rewarded with everlasting joy or damned to everlasting damnation. <laughs> it was more of like, of seeing uh, the divine in everything, of seeing it even in the mirror, of seeing it as the most exquisite lover that is... And a celebration of love in every breath, with every tree, with every wind blow, with every experience, with every person that I met. It was, it was a completely different view of experiencing um, life and divinity, where now divinity was in everything and, and, and in every, every experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful. It's like even this. Even the heartbreak was divine. Even the grief was divine. And that, I learned, is actually ancient tantric teachings. Mm -hmm. And uh, many people just think that tantra is about sex. But uh, tantra is is so much more than... it, It does use sex as worship, but it sees sex as holy. But it also sees everything as sacred. Everything as holy not just sex, so that is a way of being able to connect to the divine essence of pure love, 
of pure expansion, of pure consciousness, of connecting to yourself through another. So as I started to share more and more of my experiences, and the teacher was like, this is actually Tantra, he uh, ended up initiating me into my 101 esoteric practice, like in the olden days, where it's transmission from student to teacher. So it wasn't so much the neo-tantra of these days, which I have a lot of respect for as well, where you can go and do workshops, and I do them myself these days. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can learn about different breath work and different ways to move energy and different healing modalities, and all are very valid. But my path was more of the... uh, the ancient path of enlightenment using mm-hmm. tantric and Zen practices. And so he trained me not just in Tantra, not just in Zen, but in breath work and weapon work and painting and nights in the desert and death ceremonies and bodhisattva vows and wanted me to have a fully wide range of experiences so that I could have um a lot of different, I could be more well-rounded as a, as a being and mm-hmm. in my transmission and learned how to shapeshift and all these different ways. And so that at the end of that training, after about a year and a half of, of several times a week, going through uh, experiences of allowing more ego death and expanding into more of my own divinity, uh, he told me it was my destiny to teach this love. Mm. And I, I graciously accepted and also walked away <laughs> from everything. Mm-hmm. It was like I graduated and then I traveled the world for four years, not talking to anyone about Tantra, not doing any of my work. And when I landed in San Diego, my friends were like, fuck you, you're a tantrika, you're not saying anything. I'm like, oh, how do you know? <laughs> I've been seen. <laughs> They're like, you reek it. <laughs> wow. So I knew then that I couldn't hide anymore. It felt like a lot of responsibility, which is why I had walked away from it all. Um, but at this point, my destiny was, was knocking. And so that's when my friend said, you know, you really should take a look at what other teachers are also doing. And they talked to me about Charles Mueller and Sean Loop and different people all over the world doing different things. And and so I, I get to also educate myself in the sacred sexuality practices and the temple practices and the shamanic tantric practices and, and different healing modalities that are out there um, in the world now and have been uh, diving really deep. In fact, right now I'm in Malta because I'm in a mystery school uh, using shamanic uh, and sacred sexuality practices uh, mm. that going you know, really deep into the esoteric in another way. And so just continuing my own education while I continue to help others. And so I claimed myself as, as a power priestess because even though in the tantric path, you recognize you are God, you are goddess. In, in all its infinite forms, expressing itself through all lifetimes, through all eternity. Um, you are that, that which you see. Uh, I, ch- I chose the, the term priestess and not just goddess because a priestess is one who helps others connect to their own divinity. Mm. So it's a place of coming from service 
And mm-hmm. in the stepping into my full divinity and my full humanity and the sacredness of both, I am in my power. And I'm able to walk through life powerfully in my center, loving fully and fearlessly and fiercely, uh, fearlessly and accepting all that life has to offer. The wow. good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the joyful, and using and seeing it as part of my my exquisite love story that I'm creating mm. in this mm. lifetime. Wow, that was so, so that beautiful. That is it. The short and long <laughs> end of the power precept. No, that was <laughs> yes. beautiful, Tanya. I want to say, like, I feel like I got that transmission from hearing your story. You know, like it was so inspiring because it reminded me at all the points in my life that I felt like I had gotten some kind of spiritual download and how, you know, it's so easy to bury those with the busyness of life. And so you just reminded me of all those points where I had conscious contact with spirit, you know. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. But Mm -hmm. I want to say that I wrote. Yeah, I wrote down the phrase even the grief is divine. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that is because, you know, in romantic partnering relationships, we really need to learn the skill of accepting what is because our partner is not always going to be the person we ideally want because we, you know, project our unmet parental needs onto our partner and we're expecting them to be all these things. And we can never really serve our partner from and live in that place of love if we're expecting them to fill some need. So I often teach my clients about accepting what is, and there's a lot of different techniques for that. There's Byron Katie, the work, there's meditation practice where you strengthen that witnessing awareness mind and you're just watching the thoughts. You're not being the thoughts. You know, there's a lot of different methods for that. But what I'm hearing is that Tantra is actually a path to accepting what is so even the grief is divine gives me the sense of freedom of like instead of feeling like I've got to medicate my grief with you know food or alcohol or caffeine or whatever whatever we use in this modern life to you know try to numb ourselves out that we can actually release that feeling as a spiritual path can you speak to that Absolutely. First of all, the fact that we can even feel grief means that we loved. Mm. We love. And that is divine. And I had this beautiful experience of after a breakup, a really like deep, someone I loved super deeply. And the heartbreaking was so profound. And in that profundity, the absolute beauty of like, wow, I am able to love this much is such a gift, Mm. such a gift that I'm alive, that I can feel, that I can love, that I am connected to my emotions. And the deeper I allow myself to feel, even the depths of the grief, the greater the space for joy. Mm-hmm. 
much of the time we try to block it, like we try to stuff it, we try to, you know, eat or have sex or food or drugs or something to not feel, and then we limit our uh, our our range of emotion. Mm-hmm. And if we allow ourselves, our hearts to break fully in the grief, it allows an even greater new heart to form that's mm-hmm. so much bigger with so much more compassion for humanity, for the mm-hmm. suffering of others. It gives, mm-hmm. it, there's so much wisdom. There's so much beauty in the breakdown and allows for a greater breakthrough, for an even greater expansion of your own expression. Mm-hmm. So there is so much beauty in that. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, I don't want to go too far down this tangent here, but sure. I'm just noticing that there's so much grief, you know, uh, in the last year since the pandemic, not, and not only from, you know, people dying from, the, from COVID, but right. also the loss of connection, community. Um, there's so much more isolation, loss of income, you know, so much loss and I yeah. think that healing grief is so much more powerful when we can do it or expressing grief, you know, expressing it is so much more powerful and accessible to us when we can do it in community. And that's so hard these yes. days to have. So do you have any way in these virtual times that you have learned to help people access their grief when they don't have a community to just fall into to support them? Mm, yeah, thank you for asking that. I think part of the the there's a there's a collapsing of the old ways and the old systems that are happening right now in the world. It's a mm-hmm. global initiation and it's mm-hmm. painful as mm-hmm. most you know, as a grow as a like the caterpillar dissolving into its goo before it turns into a butterfly. We are going through this as a whole. So really what this new earth calls for, for what this new way of being is calling us for, is for greater authenticity, Mm -hmm. for greater vulnerability, for greater compassion, and ourselves to really be seen in our grief, to be able to express, to connect, well, first to even allow ourselves to fully feel it, to, to mm-hmm. not numb it out, to not stuff it down, to, to, to go headfirst into the fullness of the emotion and to be able to, to reach out, uh, whether it's with friends or uh, family or even um, doctors or the hotlines that are available, a different, just finding Someone, whether it's a coach, some, you know, people like myself or like yourself, uh, finding that, that we like, we we need community, and sometimes we need to, to come out of our comfort zone and ask for that help. That's part of the vulnerability that's being called for. That's part of the the um, the seeing that we can't 
do things the way we used to do, where it's every man for itself. The, in order to move forward, we have to look out for one another. We have to move forward in community, taking care of one another, taking care of the earth, taking care of our systems. Um, and, and it requires greater vulnerability than we've ever been able to express before. It's, mm-hmm. it's a undoing of that system of, of I have to be strong and I have to do it alone. It's like, no, we do this together. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be strong. We can, you can be supported. But, she, but sometimes the hardest step is being vulnerable to say, I need help right now. Mm-hmm. And when you ask for it, you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've done some pretty powerful healing sessions over Zoom. You know, like I've had people take yeah. on like guided visualizations into like deep core childhood wounds and have huge releases just looking at my healer over the screen. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yes. I've also had some really beautiful, um, you know, sensual and flirtatious connections over the screen. So I think the energy can yeah. get through it. Of course, it's better to be touching, but since, you know, when, when we can't do that, it's, it's better than nothing to um, be able to Absolutely. reach out on the screen. Yeah. Um, so I want yeah, to Yeah, definitely. You, We've been doing. Um, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. I just want to share real quick that we've even been doing um, online Tantra festivals. And um, I've had to move all my workshops since I can't do them in person anymore. I've had to move them all online. And and you're right. Like, of course, it's better to be in person and connecting. But but Zoom has allowed us to do breakout rooms, to be able to still connect and see each other, even if we can't touch each other and Mm -hmm. go through our processes. So there's, it's a, it's a new way of doing things, but they're still available. Right. And I think that's how I found you because we were both in the One World Tantra Festival. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, you mentioned the word shamanism. And so can for those that don't really understand what that means, what modern shamanism is, I mean, most, most people conjure up this medicine man in the rainforest, you know. <laughs> and so how is modern day shamanism what does it mean to you and how is it related to sacred sexuality? Absolutely. So shamanism to me is the art of deliberately moving between worlds, mm-hmm. between levels of existence. So just so moving beyond just the physical, what you see and knowing that, that you can connect to the unseen world where you can bring back messages and healing from one level to the other, connecting spirit through nature and bringing it into manifestation. So mm-hmm. shamanism, you can use, like, yes, you mentioned, um, you can, you know, the medicine people who use plants, for example, mm-hmm. whether it's ayahuasca or um, wachuma or different, you know, medicines throughout the world. That's one way. And sexual shamanism, it uses sexuality as the tool or the medicine mm-hmm. for journeying. So you can journey through ayahuasca and you can journey through a deliberate and conscious sacred sexuality session as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. That was a great definition. And so I do guide my clients to do some inner child healing work where we use the realm of imagination and guided visualization to take yes. them back to a experience that was really traumatic. And then we kind of redesigned this, the experience by bringing in, 
um, magical beings or their ideal therapist or whatever to like redesign the scene. And so that's, I didn't realize that I was kind of doing shamanic work. (laughs) <laughs> doing that. Yes. Yeah, you are. You are because you're going between the worlds, you know. And mm-hmm. There's a great practice that I just um, learned recently uh, here at this mystery school called ETP and empowered through empowerment through pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it's Beautiful. the ability to rewrite the past and create a new future using pleasure as the manifestation tool. It's mm. powerful. It allowed it. me to completely reframe um, and release the grief around my father's suicide mm. in the most beautiful and potent way. Like I wow. can't recommend it enough. Like this shamanic tool has just completely shifted everything for me. And what's it called again? No less. Empowerment through pleasure, ETP. Empowerment through pleasure. Okay, I'm going to look that up. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about open relationships and polyamory, since that is the theme, the overarching theme of my podcast. Um, yeah. So, can you tell us how you identify and what your journey has been around your style of relating, and maybe a few of the biggest uh, lessons that you've learned? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. So um, at the moment, I consider myself um, more polyamorous uh, than, than anything else, um, though I am not like a staunch, I'm a this, I'm a that kind of person. Like I'm, I'm very much like in the flow, like this is what feels like my truth at this moment. And I'm also open mm-hmm. at changing, um, you know, a year from now or two weeks from now, like it just, it, I'm I'm fluid in it. But for the last six years, I have been practicing polyamory. Poly means many. Amory means love. So polyamory meaning many loves. And the even though for the majority of my life I was in monogamous relationships, I can trace it back to my first loves. I was a freshman in high school, and I had a boyfriend, and his best friend um and I were also best friends so it's like my two guy best friends one was my boyfriend and they were best friends to each other and we Mm -hmm. talked every day and we hung out all the time and the same day that my boyfriend told me that he loved me later that day on a phone call with my other best friend office best friend (laughs) told me that he me too and wow I knew that I was in love with both. So from a very early age, I was fully aware that my heart was big enough to fully love more than one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Now, we continued our relationship for about six months before we felt, you know, like this, this wasn't it, that's something that was talked about. Oh, and it wasn't a world that, that even had the word polyamory at the time. And so at the time, it didn't feel, you know, like it was in secret. And so there was always a little bit of guilt and shame around that. And so eventually we called it off, not because we didn't love each other anymore, but we just didn't want to, to uh, be in the shadow anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but that taught me right then there that I wish I wished I lived in a world where it was okay to love openly more than one person. And so 
six years ago when I landed in San Diego, California, which is normally where I live, I was able to um, learn that there there was such a thing. <laughs> and I got really excited, like, wait, polyamory is a thing? You, you can really have more than one lover, more than one boyfriend or girlfriend at the time? <laughs> and so I started doing um, more research around it and reading books like The Ethical Slut and going to um, workshops around it and to start and to get into relationships that were open and um in their relating and, and I've, I've tried different styles where one was more of an open relationship and then it turned into polyamorous where I had two boyfriends at the same time and they knew about each other and they were supportive of the whole thing and um then I had a, a another relationship where there were where we were a triad so it was um my boyfriend uh, introduced me to this beautiful woman and the I fell in love and for a while the three of us were together um, until they wanted to be more monogamous each other and our time was kind of up on that and so I blessed them and they went on their way and I went on my own uh, but that was still a really sweet experience that had my triad for a while and I've also been in another relationship where they're a, they're a married couple and they've even done a TV show on Showtime called Polyamorous Married and Dating and mm-hmm. the husband fell in love with me and so we started seeing each other with her blessing of course and then became part of the family so I've, I've had a different a variety of <laughs> of experiences over the last few years and and have learned a lot about communication and compassion and self-love and compersion and growth it's definitely been the most growth promoting um other than my shamanic journeys and my my teacher and my time journey uh open relating in poly life has has definitely stretched me beyond what i used to be able to to tolerate as far as like my like here's here was my from here to here is where i can handle (laughs) as a a result of going through these experiences my heart has expanded so much more and i've gained so much more wisdom and compassion and love for myself and for others. Um, right. As a, as a uh, let me just of, let me interrupt you here. Mm-hmm. Right. I just want sure. to interrupt you for a moment in case um, people have joined us late. You're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Taina Ixchel Jorda Sid, who is a um, shamanic priestess, tantric counselor and all many of other things and we're talking about (laughs) her practice of open relationship and polyamory if you have any questions for taina please feel free to call our um, calling number is 657-383-1132 and you won't interrupt us you'll be put on hold and we'll just grab your call at the right time again that number is 657-1132 so yeah when you were talking about um you know, the different various kinds of relationships you've had and how it's really expanded you. It makes me think of how I often say that, like, if you want, you know, if you really value stability, predictability, safety, and, like, calmness, which are wonderful values. There's nothing wrong with them. But if those are kind of your primary values, then monogamy is probably a better, you're probably better suited for monogamy. But if you value 
you know, growth, opportunities for growth and expansion, variety, excitement, adventure, then, boy, you're going to get all of that from open relating, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, what, what about if somebody like, well, first of all, how, how would somebody know if they're ready for polyamory? And then what if they want to try it? Can they go back to monogamy? They can, absolutely. And that's one of the beauties of, of being, you know, when I mentioned being fluid, is uh, if you are in a dynamic relationship where you trust each other and you communicate frequently about your needs, your desires, your fears, your wants, your boundaries, you can create in your relationship um, whatever you need at that moment, you know, and it, it could even be like an experimentation of like, let's try this for a month and here's some agreements that we can set up around it so that we both feel safe so that we we know what the container looks like and, and we can play around with it. And then if, you know, if, if it, do, it really doesn't work and it's, it's closing, it's hurting the relationship, we can close it back down again and, and work on it until it feels solid and strong and, and, um, and maybe you're both feeling like, okay, now we're feeling ready to try to open this container back up again. And mm-hmm. what does that look like? And then do we want just lovers or do we want boyfriends and girlfriends? And, and how deep do we want the other, you know, it's, just, it's a, for every relationship, it's going to be different because you're dealing with different humans. Mm-hmm. So the greatest skill to learn in any type of dynamic and, and relationship is communication. And mm-hmm. being bold enough, which comes back again to vulnerability and authenticity, being mm-hmm. able to really tap into what your needs are and to communicate them compassionately mm-hmm. is, and listen with an open heart and coming to, to, to a place that feels great to both parties. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just... Uh the word compromise is thrown around in um, traditional relationships. And so I love that you didn't, you didn't say that you said a place that feels great. So I love that there's a possibility that you can get to a place where you're both really happy. And before I go back to you, I just want to say that um, I love that you said listening because so often we think communication means talking and it's very important that we take responsibility for our feelings and for what we want and not make our partner guess what we want. That's super important. Mm-hmm. But I think it's yes. equally, if not more important, to become a really good listener because if you can seek to understand your partner more than you're trying to be understood, if you're both prioritizing understanding yep. rather than trying to be understood and you're both generous in that way, Understanding your partner doesn't mean that you agree with them, <laughs> right? It just means mm-hmm. that you're making sure they feel understood. And if you can give that gift, I tell you, that, that can make your relationship so sweet. <laughs> so I just wanted to Absolutely. add that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great piece to add. Yeah. And then um, so how would someone know if they were ready for this kind of relating? I would, uh, well, I, I know that you have a, a quiz <laughs> uh, yeah, <right. laughs> on your website. <laughs> yes. 
Um, and I and I think it really is a matter of of knowing yourself and knowing um, and knowing your partner and having that discussion. Like, are we? You know, maybe you've you've met somebody and you're feeling that connection and you're you're really wanting to explore that because life is short. You know, we and we only live it once in these bodies. So if you if there's somebody or an experience that you would like to have. Um, instead of doing what most monogamous couples do, which is they can go into the shadow and into um, hiding and cheating and lying and, and all those destructive patterns, the openness allows you to be exactly that, open about who who you really are, what you're really feeling, what what you're wanting to explore and get out of this life and to share that with your partner. And, you've, and if your partner... Um, can be supportive of that. I'm so sorry, Tanya, but the, um, the connection was really bad for almost the entire time that you answered that question. <laughs> oh, so no. It was pretty bad. So let, let me give you a chance to repeat what you said because I really want to hear it. So now it's better. So go ahead and start in the beginning. Me again because I was in the flow and I forgot the question. Yes. <laughs> How do you know if you're ready for open relating? I think if you feel you are mature enough to communicate uh, openly and honestly and you're in a place where you trust and love your partner and you know that it's solid, a lot of people want to go into open relating when their relationship is falling apart. And I mm. tell my clients that that is not the time because that is escapism, that is avoiding, that is, uh, that's certainly going to lead to a breakup and a dissolution of the partnership. But if what you really care about is the partnership and you still want to open it up, then I um, think that couples who are already in a really solid and beautiful place and trust each other, and have great communication already, then can start to um, talk, have those those conversations about who and what kind of experiences you'd like to have in life, and um, why you want to open up, and mm-hmm. who you may want to open up with, and if you can have those conversations in the light, as opposed to in the shadow, which is a lot of what. Me- monogamous relationships end up doing is that they they have these urges these these wanting to connect with others and then they they go into the shadow and they lie Mm -hmm. about it and they cheat and and it's it's hidden um this is the opposite of that but this requires a lot of courage it requires um you owning your truth Mm -hmm. and to being able to share that in a compassionate way and and to be Mm -hmm. able to receive be received in that and to be able to receive your partner in, in their desires and, and, and changing your mindset from possession of this person is mine um, to loving them so, want, so much you want them to be happy. That mm. love is good and more is better. And mm-hmm. if this is going to create more love in the world, can I be supportive of that? Mm-hmm. And if you can, then you're ready to open up. Mm-hmm. There are two couples I've been working with lately, and they both were married for a while. It's just uncanny how the the couples I'm working most closely with right now have a very similar situation. And, you know, 
the woman in both couples fell in love with another man and the husband is like trying to get on board with polyamory, you know, and so they did, they, you know, I love when people listen to what I suggest and take, you know, take my suggestions and they've been doing it and they are both having the best sex of their relationship, having more intimacy, more love. And they don't know if it's going to work out with this other person, but boy, their own relationship has gotten so strong from just adding more love, you know, like the more, the more when it comes to love, it's not like a zero sum game. It's like it grows the more you, you give it and feel it. It does. It really does. I've noticed that too with my clients and with myself. Love is good. More is better. And when you allow each other the freedom to being a jailer <laughs> and the prisoner <laughs> in the relationship, <laughs> when you give each other the freedom, it, it creates even more love and, um, and appreciation for the person who gave you that freedom. Mm-hmm. So it helps out the primary relationship immensely. Right. And so as you've gone down this path, you know, I know from my own personal experience that there's hard times and, you know, our core wounds get triggered. Um, how have you been able to um, soothe yourself? Uh, you know, I mean, you're a spiritual person. Do you rely on spirituality or do you have like spirit guides or angels or really good therapists or like how have you supported yourself on your journey? All of the above. (laughs) But most importantly, I remind myself that I am my source, Mm. not the other person. I don't outsource my my needs to others, my joys, Mm. my, my, I don't, I I claim my power in that way where Mm. it's, I come back to, to who I am, what I'm worth. um, And this is what I, I teach my, uh, all my clients and I help them with too, that even in relationship, like really ultimately comes back to remembering who you really are and standing fully in your power and then sharing your love from overflow, not because mm-hmm. you you need someone else to fill your bucket because that's never mm-hmm. going to be enough. Mm-hmm. So teaching the different tools for self-soothing, for self-love, for coming back to yourself and your center, for your resiliency and your empowerment, then helps you be an even greater love for others because you're loving from a of wholeness, mm-hmm. not from a place of lack. Right. And I love what you said about like changing your mindset about possessing your partner because when you feel like you own them or they're a reflection of you, then your ego gets so in the way, it's hard for you to see the forest for the trees, right? Like when you're coming from ego, just everything is harder. So how have you managed to dissolve your ego? I'm imagining that a lot of the plant medicine and shamanic work and stuff has helped with that. And what else have you done to diminish your ego so that you can hold space for someone else's experience? Absolutely. And, and Tantra, you know, it just, it, it again comes back to uh, the, the unity of life mm-hmm. that uh, to Tantra, the word itself means to loom, to weave together. It's, it's seeing the seeming opposites as just two sides of the same coin. 
the masculine, the feminine, the dark, the light, the yin, the yang, they're all just the one. So seeing uh, the other is just another expression of the one. So you're really connecting with another to connect with yourself, your mm-hmm. ultimate self, your, your most, the, the unified whole eternal self that then mm-hmm. is being reflected in all things. So that mm-hmm. is, um, that is a way that I, I am able to move through these relationships as opposed to like possession. Like this is, this is another version of the divine. This is another mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. the more I love me, the more I'm able to love them. The more I want my freedom, the more I'm able to support theirs. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, I was just going to say, um, when, I, when I'm uh, you know, keeping up with my practices and, um, and I really have that witness, that witnessing mind that can see that and not really get pulled into my emotions, but I can like notice the emotions instead of being them, you know, yeah. um, then I can dance yeah. with them easier and, and like speak them to my partner. Cause I, I want to tell it like a lot of times people try to be more evolved than they really are. They think, Oh, I shouldn't be feeling jealous or I shouldn't be having this contraction right now because I thought I was past this or, you know, I've been doing this for X number of years, but I think it's important to be humble enough to speak it when you feel it. And that also requires some diminishment of ego to just say, okay, I'm feeling really, I know it's dumb, but I'm feeling really jealous right now. And then speak what you need around that. Do you need reassurance or, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, can you speak to that around? Right. um, Which comes back. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Which comes back to um, the authenticity and vulnerability that I was speaking of in the beginning. Because the ego is the mask that we want to put on, right? And and it's it's not a bad thing. A lot of people want to make the ego bad. It's it's a vehicle for being in this planet and, and being able to to connect. Now the difference is um, identifying solely with it, right? Like this is the this is who I am. Like no, you're you're so much greater than that. And so diminishing the ego by just being absolutely authentic in your expression of where you are, when you are. Like, that's more than buying than trying to be where you're not. Like, if you're feeling jealousy, if you're feeling fear, if you're feeling self-doubt or insecurities, like, that's real. That's mm-hmm. authentic. And, and sharing that in vulnerability, that is where true connection can be made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And when partners hold each other in that, like you can make some great strides because you're coming from that heart place of like, oh, this is, this is how you're feeling. These are what your needs are, and we can move from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, early on in your story that you um, were having memories of past lives. So now that you've been on this path for a while, um, how do you think about that now and how is that part of your current way of living in your work? Well, one of the things that I remembered is I actually saw different different lives of my 
myself as a priestess in in different settings. Um, so I've done this a lot, which then helped me in this lifetime to uncover some of the gifts that I had in those. Mm-hmm. So that's really fascinating. And I don't hear too much of that. And so it's like a weird thing that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, no, I, it's, it's mostly a gift of grace. It's not like I can say like, Oh, do this. And that's able to uh, then intuitively get some of these practices and tools um, that I've learned before and I'm able to remember them now and to use them now. And um, I use them with my clients. I use them on myself. And they're powerful healing modalities as well as manifestation modalities and ways to move through this world um, in, in a really magical way. Like we have so much power that we don't, we often give our power away. We often think we're powerless to our situations and this, and we don't really realize like how much we actually can shift and change our life um, with the power of our mind, our thoughts, our tools, uh, by clearing what's in the way energetically, those blocks that are that are there, and, and healing the past so that you can really uh, step into what you came for. Mm-hmm. You're here for a reason, and and getting rid of the drama that that and then the trauma and, and working through it and getting the lessons from it can really help you reach your highest potential in this lifetime, mm-hmm. whether it's in relationship or in your work or in just in your being. And, and that's what I really believe and have seen um, through my clients and myself. It's just, it's, there's a whole different way of living and being than what society and culture has taught us is available. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I was feeling that as you were talking about it. I was just calling in that, like, yes, we really can shift something that's not working for us with our own impact, like our own energy, um, especially when we we don't fall into those self-destructive habits. But how do you teach people to practice self-love? Because a lot of the time we, we go into frustration with ourselves and self-judgment like we talk to ourselves like we'd never talk to a friend <laughs> so how do you teach people Bang. to love themselves and not enough to not abuse themselves so that their beautiful vehicle can be clear for these this energy and this transmission to come through mm-hmm. well, it's a variety of ways and um it's usually a process and, and every client that i work with it's it's usually uh, you know they have their own set of things that they're working on. But I love that you mentioned the inner child work because that's really important. We do heal a lot of the past, a lot of the trauma that has been. Um, uh, so from the first seven years of our life, we were, our cognitive mind hadn't fully kicked in yet. Mm-hmm. So our, our synapses, our, our neurons were just absorbing everything around us so Mm -hmm. our parents um who were primarily like our gods at that age right they're they're our providers they're everything so what we're observing in them we are we are just absorbing it so their Mm -hmm. lack of self-worth their fears their traumas their projections is just being imprinted in the subconscious mind Mm -hmm. so 
past the age of seven, once the cognitive mind kicks in, like you've already, your brain has already, it's been like a tape recorder, just absorbing all this information and creating agreements about reality without your conscious say so. Mm-hmm. So most of your life, like when you are triggered, it's not so much the actual thing that happened in that moment. It's mm-hmm. something that is relating back to some belief that you made about life that you didn't consciously make from childhood. Mm-hmm. So working through trauma, healing the past, and fully accepting yourself where you are now and really retraining your, your self-talk is important. Mm-hmm. It's just like you mentioned, sometimes some people talk to themselves in ways they would never allow somebody to talk to their friend, but they, they self-berate. Okay, so right. becoming your own best friend, becoming your greatest lover, your greatest advocate, and, and making it a practice. So in, in, you spent years and years and years working from the subconscious mind. So it takes deliberate action to reprogram the subconscious mind and to uh, be diligent with your with your thoughts and your feelings about yourself and retraining how you talk to yourself, retraining mm-hmm. how you look at yourself. And, and there's different practices, um, tantra practices, shamanic practices, affirmation practices, journaling practices. There's, there's a variety of, of things that I include in my coaching and in my workshops and such where we can really uh, start to create new habits and replacing old programs to empowering ones, ones Mm -hmm. that allow your self-love to be the new paradigm. Right. And I see that you have Theta healing practitioner training, so I'm imagining that um, you utilize that when you're doing that that deep um, little little one's work, like below the age of seven when we're kind of in that Theta brain state all the time. Yes. I'm imagining that comes in yes. handy for your practice. It sure does, because it goes right into the subconscious mind. You're working right into the old programs, releasing them from where they came from. A lot of them aren't even yours. A lot of them have been just brought down through your DNA. They're ancestral. <laughs> There's this mm-hmm. deep in there. And, and they're you know, had nothing to do with, with you or your childhood, but they're there. So removing those old programs um, through the Thetic field is powerful quantum healing mm-hmm. well you have such a, a well-rounded background and training so I'm sure you're a very powerful uh, healer counselor coach and I, I just hope that you know you continue to, to grow and expand and serve a lot of people so I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you if they'd like to know more about you and anything else that you want to say Thank you, Samati. Yeah, you can find me at powerpriestess.com. So powerpriestess.com, all one word. And I will have my events listed on there, my red pencil listed on there. Also different sessions that you can book me for or coaching. Um, For the coaching, there's a discovery call that you can sign up for or we can talk more about your specific needs, wants and desires and goals 
And then from there, we can see if we're a good fit for one another and if we're ready to embark on a journey of, of transformation. I also post a lot on Instagram. My handle is Taina Ixchel, at Taina Ixchel, or on Facebook, Taina Ixchel Jordan uh, where you see more about my life, my journey, my travels, my events, uh, things that are happening. I, I like to to sh- you know, give you not just my professional self, like my professional and personal self is who I am. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you get to really like, you know, see like my, like what vulnerability and transparency are some of my, my key values and something I'm really bringing into this world. So you get to see that um, from what I share and you're welcome to follow me on any of those platforms. And if you're ready to have a conversation around your specific needs and um, desires, whether in relationship or in your spiritual life or emotional life or in your professional life too, I invite you to go to powerpriestess.com and contact me for a discovery session call. Wonderful. And when do you come back from Malta? I'm I'm at this mystery school until the 18th of August, and then I might travel around, um, you know, COVID permitting, (laughs) for at least another week or so before coming back to California. So I'll be back in Cali uh, probably around the end of August. Fabulous. Well, enjoy the rest of your stay there and the rest of your mystery school. It's been wonderful having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Samantha. It's been absolutely joyful talking with you today. And thank you all for listening. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you further in the future. Have a beautiful day. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Leading Edge Love Radio. Um, next week, we will be having a an author uh, on the show who also trains other um, polyamory coaches. She She trains therapists how to incorporate polyamory into their practice so that they understand what it is and are not judgmental toward their clients. Um, Her name is Martha Kaupi, Martha Kaupi. (laughs) Um, So I'm looking forward to uh, meeting her and learning about her fabulous book about um, adding polyamory to therapy. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. on Leading Edge Love Radio. Talk to you soon.